Hi everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Janssens. Our guest today is Peter Lord, co-founder and CEO of Kodat, the universal API for small business. Pete founded Kodat in 2017 and has since spent his time between London and New York. In June 2022, Kodat raised a $100 million Series C for investors including JP Morgan, PayPal, Shopify, and Plaid. In today's episode, we cover topics including Pete's start in SMB lending and how it led him to found Kodat, what being the universal API for small business means to Pete, open finance, and much, much more. Hi, Pete, and welcome to Warden FinTech Podcast. Where are you calling in from today? Hi, Andrew. I'm calling in from London, uh, and it's it's snowing here. Just unusual. Um, we're super happy to have you on the podcast. And just for some of our listeners who might not be as familiar with you, can you give a brief overview of your career today and how you came to be in fintech? Sure. I uh, I guess stumbled into to fintech. Um, I studied computer science at university and I joined uh, Credit Suisse. Uh, didn't last long, didn't enjoy being a small cog as a software engineer in a in a big machine and uh, went completely up opposite end of the spectrum uh, and joined a startup that was called Market Finance. Uh, they're an SMB uh, lender, peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, lender for small businesses uh, in London. I spent three years at there. And during that time, I uh, transitioned from being software engineer to a product person and I also saw the need for you know, what we've now built at Kodak firsthand. So, uh, yeah, pretty uh, transformational uh, time for me. Amazing. And um, I know that you started university reading physics and then geography. So I'd love to hear just kind of about what made the early switch to computer science. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you um, that I saw that being able to to write software, uh, you know, was was the future, um, but actually it's it's uh uh you know much more much more about luck uh rather than skill uh, of, of kind of uh identifying kind of future opportunities i i went to uni to study physics uh i didn't love physics it was just a subject uh that i was was good at at university and i really should have taken a gap year uh on on reflection i didn't know uh what i wanted to be what i wanted to do um so if 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 you don't love something uh physics is is quite a lot of work uh and so i made the switch to something that was easier or at least uh had fewer lecture hours which was geography um again you know i didn't have a passion for it and i should remember being stood in a river uh, on the isle of wight with a measuring stick realizing that I, I, you know, I've got this wrong. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life, uh, and and I dropped out. I didn't have any plans to go back to university. I spent uh, six months working uh, in electrical engineering workshop. Think kind of small factory, um, uh, and that kind of helped me realise that I would like to go back uh, to to university. Um, but by this point, it was a little bit too late to apply. And so computer science was the, uh, the only thing that would, that would take me. Um, I managed to kind of talk my way onto a course. I've never written, uh, you know, a line of code in my life. I just turned up on day one, wanting to, wanting to be there. Uh, and yeah, I'm really, really fortunate that, that I, 
you know, got lucky. I had a very similar experience in a river in the Lake District and can can sympathize there. Um, moving on a little bit to your early career. So I know you spent three years at uh, market finance, SMB lender. Would love to hear how that experience in SMB lending informed what you built for the past, I think, six years at Kodak. Yeah, that, that's right. So um, market finance is a, a like I said, peer to peer small business lender. And so on one hand, you have uh, investors uh, wanting to um, make a return on their capital. On the other hand, you have small businesses uh, needing working capital to grow. And the the platform that you know, I was working for sat in sat in the middle. Kind of the the business problem that that I saw was that uh, investors wanted uh, you know, up to date, accurate data um, to be able to make a decision whether or not to to fund uh, an SMB. Uh, and a small business wanted to be able to easily and quickly apply and get a decision as fast as possible. And the platform that sat in the middle wanted to be able to, uh, as efficiently as can be, um, and, you know, as, uh, as reliably as possible, will be able to, uh, take information from one side and, uh, and give it to the other and be able to, you know, have confidence in, in, in that data. And so, the kind of existing manual process that exists involves a lot of um, you know, PDF documents being sent back and forth, and lots of people entering data, and and actually the outcome uh, is often out of date, quite incomplete view of a small business, and this is just typical of uh, most uh, kind of risk and lending processes uh, in the UK and in the US and around the world. And and what um, that business did was to say, well, let's connect. Uh, our platform to the uh, systems that small businesses are using already to run their business that already contain the data that we need and much more. And let's get access to that you know, via in integration and let's make that data available to our investors. And so we're talking bookkeeping software, things like Xero, QuickBooks, Sage, NetSuite. Um, and it's those integrations that I, I spent time as a software engineer building. Um, and you know when I moved into product, uh, I was responsible for for managing them and, and had a roadmap of uh, all the other systems that we hadn't built connect connectivity to yet that our small business customers were using, and, and that's really when I saw the need for Kodat. So I'd already seen the value value for investors, the value for, on the on the investment side of the uh, peer to peer platform, seen the value for the platform itself, and the value for small businesses, uh, and now I saw kind of. The value of, of kind of providing that as a service for other companies like market finance um so that's kind of why uh why i started kodak like say that was six years ago now um and we've come a long way since but actually that kind of underlying use case and and those principles remain true today i feel a lot of founders have have come from experience in the space and seeing seeing the problem firsthand also curious um how do you meet your co-founders yeah, so they were working also um, at, at at the same company. The you know, people often uh, ask me for advice. One of the advice that I, I often give is, uh, if you want to you know, want to start a company, find the two cleverest people you know. Uh, I think two is an important number. You know, there were there have been three of us uh, on this journey, uh, and you know that means that um, you know we're, there's always. Uh, you can always put things to a vote if if you need to. Uh, yeah, and you know, uh, Alex ran the investment side, um, 
of of market finance for for some time. And Dave, who's our CTO, um, he was uh, kind of the uh, yeah the smartest uh, in the engineering team. So that's kind of uh, yeah how we how we came to be. And what's really been advantageous is that we've all we'd all worked together before. We'd all seen the problem through you know, through the lens of a customer, and um, before we even started on day one, and you know, that allowed us to get going really quickly. It's actually some great research that uh, odd numbers of founders is incredibly important for exactly what you said. Always need a tiebreaker. Um, amazing. Thanks for giving that like overview of how you came to get to Kodak. And, you know, I know that you guys describe yourself as the universal API for small business. So we'd love to hear what that means to you in your own words. Yeah, I guess you can, you can unpack it. Um, so universal is you know, for us, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a, Kind of think of it as a universal adapter. Um, we have a standardized data model. So although we connect to many different um, platforms, um, Kodak has has one API. Um, so that's kind of the, the universal element. Uh, an API, you know, we're um, we actually typically don't sell to developers. They're not the um, the people uh, writing the check for Kodak. It's someone on the kind of more on the the business side of our clients. But developers are are the end users. Um, and so, you know, having having API in that in that tagline, um, you know, really helps us to to remember kind of who we're building uh, software for and how it's going to be consumed. Uh, and then small business, uh, it's really funny. Small businesses um, aren't uh, actually aware of Kodak. Uh, you know, we our clients are in the, the example um, of my previous experience. Our you know, market finance, you know is the client um, small businesses um, however uh, are central to our mission so our mission is to make life easier uh, for small businesses and that's not only because you know, there are 200 million of them and they uh, make up um, you know 50% uh, uh, of the of the world's economy and there's you know real people and families behind them but it's also a good business for for Kodak, for us to put them front and center. Uh, we charge our clients by the number of small businesses um, that they have connected in any given month. And so uh, if we keep small businesses uh, in mind, if we think about kind of the value that they're getting um, out of you know, our technology and how it's used by, by our customers, um, then that's good business for Kodak. And then it's interesting that you say that, you know, they may not necessarily be aware that they're using Kodat. So in practice, how might a small business be interacting with Kodat's API on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. So taking that the that example of a, of a small business applying for a loan, which I think is typically the most, most well understood, um, the small business would, would go to their, their lender, be it a, a fintech or, or a bank, um, for you know, whatever type of financial uh, product it is that they're they're looking to to take out, and at some point during the application journey, um, they'll be presented with an option to um, connect their the software that they use to run their business. Um, so they will select from a from a list, see the logo that that they recognise that they use, and they'll provide consent for that you know, bank or lender to have uh, access uh, to their data. Uh, and they'll give that uh, consent, and then they'll uh, provide authorization. Typically, it's we call an OAuth handshake. So it's a, you know, using an API that's been designed and built by, let's say, it's QuickBooks, uh, to be able to 
you know, authorize that nominated third party. Um, and then you know, they'll continue with the rest of the application uh, journey. The, the advantage being that the, that the bank has immediate access uh, to their data, can hopefully in, um, autofill the rest of the form from that and give them, um, you know, in some instances, immediately a decision. And that's really valuable uh, if you're running a small business and, you know, you need to get back to uh, baking bread, fixing cars, whatever it might be, or you need that certainty to that you're going to be able to make uh, make payroll, um, you know, that month. So that's that's kind of one example. Um, and I think that's an example from you know, the bucket of, of use cases that I would uh, classify as helping our clients to better understand their small business customers. Um, but just to give you know, one other example, um, and the other example comes from this bucket of, of use cases and across our 300 clients, we have 42 different use cases. Um, this this second bucket is all around helping our clients to keep their product in sync with the other applications that small business customers use. So, so there are example, uh, sorry, our, our client could be a point of sale system. So, uh, their point of sale system has, uh, they've got a, uh, a merchant uh, facing portal. So let's say they specialize in the restaurant industry. So a restaurant who's logged in uh, can see integrations and they can, again, let's say they use QuickBooks, they see QuickBooks, they connect. And what that means is that behind the scenes, you know, we created a, a, a Kodak connection. Again, they're, they're unaware, we're just the pipes through which um, their data travels. And that means that every time um, you know, someone goes into their into their restaurant. They ask for the uh, the, the check. They um, you know pay on with with their card. That sales transaction data can be synchronized automatically from their um, their POS system into their bookkeeping, so that they don't have to at the end of the the night you know enter enter data from one system into another it's just it just happens it's it's seamless um and i think that's what that's what we expect as consumers this you know between the systems that we use and it's what small businesses you know are very quickly uh taking for granted um you know, in in the smb world interestingly that last use case reminds me a lot of uh public markets reconciliation which is a entire nightmare that there are massive <laughs> multi-million dollar businesses built built to solve um i know you've said elsewhere that it's a common misconception that small businesses are sharing their data with Kodak. so can you talk a little bit about what actually happens in practice and kind of the importance of maybe granting smbs control over their own data yes so they're like like i said kind of small businesses aren't they're not aware of Kodat and to kind of bring that to life there, they, they don't throughout that connection journey that you know, we just described in a couple of different ways, they never see the Kodat logo. They don't, um, they, uh, they don't know about kind of Kodat as a company and it's, it's not Kodat's they're uh, authorizing uh, to have access to their data. It's a nominated uh, third party, our, our clients. Um, and I think kind of the, What's really important is that you know, we, as Kodat, I, you know, we're, we're not reselling their data in any way. We're actually allowing them to to leverage it. We're allowing them to leverage it in that first example you know, to be able to you know, get access to a to a product 
that that makes sense for them um that's personalized for them that they might not be able to get access to if the lender just uses you know the last 12 months you know last tax return or you know a, a credit score and gets put into a very broad bucket uh, especially for growing businesses it actually being able to leverage your data allows you to get access to finance that you wouldn't otherwise and then that second use case is allowing customers to leverage that data for um you know, for for speed and efficiency and to be able to uh you know to run their business uh, as effectively as possible and get back to to doing what what it is that they need to do and uh and and in both examples there's, there's value for our for our clients uh enabling them to do that and so you know our monetization strategy is is to charge those those clients so we don't you know because we don't we don't need to charge the smb directly we don't need a relationship with them um we can just focus on kind of the value that we create uh you know uh for them um but capture kind of the, our costs somewhere else amazing and very small business friendly which is always a plus um you know i know you just sketched out two of the of the 42 use cases and, and maybe we don't have to go into all 42 but we'd love to hear about some of the newer ones that you're excited about or maybe that you think smbs should be thinking about adopting in the future yeah so i guess thinking about kind of clients i guess right more, more so than use cases um we have a number of different vertical SaaS clients for you know for for various different use cases. When I say vertical SaaS, I mean people who are and many of them are startups building the operating system for some you know niche or geography. Uh, so we have the you know the operating system for we've got nurseries, breweries, uh, we've got cemeteries. Uh, beauticians, you know, a number of different segments. And I think it's really important. And I, I get really excited by uh, these vertical SaaS uh, companies because small businesses are all you know, very, very different. And actually a small business, you know, uh, in one country versus another actually doesn't have that much in common to florists or to pizzerias do. And, you know, one might happen to be in New York, the other London, but actually their their businesses are much more alike um, than you know, than two that might be on the same uh, high street or you know um, you know in the same uh, city uh, you know, in the world. So those kind of vertical SaaS you know, companies are particularly interesting to me, and the use cases that they have vary, but it's mainly around synchronizing their stack with kind of the other kind of more generic components. Um, so, you know, accounting, uh, as a good example, it's, it, it's much more generic. It can be plugged into a, you know, a vertical SaaS and doesn't matter if you use you know, vertical SaaS plus QuickBooks or vertical SaaS plus zero. Um, you know, and those companies can focus on, uh, the bit where they can add the most value that's industry specific. Amazing. And I think with the growth of embedded finance, we're only going to see more and more of this verticalization. Pivoting very slightly, you have some of finance and fintechs heavy hitters on your cap table. So JPM, Plaid, PayPal, many others. Um, especially talking, you know, about kind of the growth of, of verticalization and so on as we just have. Do you think this shows that fintechs really like a positive sum game where we can grow the pie for everyone and, you know, including SMBs and customers? Absolutely. We're very lucky. We have some of the best uh, venture capital uh, money on, on the cap table, but also, you know, what we would, what we call strategics. So 
Um, the names you mentioned, plus American Express and, and Shopify. And this is really important for us because we've got strong mission alignment with uh, all these companies. And that's kind of the, the most the most fundamental uh, kind of reason why they've they've invested. But also we're connecting to to them as uh, I guess data sources. You know, we're building integrations to these companies as well and allowing of their product to become better through the ecosystem that, that we power uh, of, of apps on their app store or you know uh, companies that that, su- that support connectivity with their product and so you know, we have this almost network effect where as you say kind of it you know once it it's it starts going and, and the the sum you know it's greater than the sum of the parts and for users you know, it just looks like life getting easier and easier for them because their systems and their services just work together and they do that seamlessly. Wonderful. Pivoting very slightly. So Kodat has, you know, been very open about um, supporting open banking and pushing for something along that sort for SMBs. So I know elsewhere you've described saying a lot of open banking benefits have accrued to consumers, but today's small businesses don't necessarily enjoy all those same benefits. So We'd love to hear you sketch out some of the key benefits that open finance, kind of as Coda has proposed, would bring to the broader ecosystem. Yeah, and there are obviously lots of difference between small businesses and consumers. We believe at Coda, and obviously we're biased, but you know, one, of the, one of the main ones is that for a consumer, we have our bank account. For a small business, um, that's not necessarily the financial source of, of truth. They often have multiple bank accounts, you know, you could argue, yep. So, so, so do many consumers, but as a small business, we've then got you know, our QuickBooks, uh, we've got our, our Shopify, we've got our Stripe. We've got these different systems to um, account for uh, to sell our products uh, to to take payments, and so it's these systems that needed to you know, need to be connected to to everything else, and that's kind of you know, part of what we're talking about uh, in you know looking beyond open banking and into open finance. To get to get to the benefits uh, that, that you asked about, I would put them into to two broad categories. The first one is kind of all around increasing that SMB productivity. And um, so when we talked about systems being being in sync, data flowing freely um, between different tools uh, used by SMBs for taking payments, for business planning, for forecasting, um, you know, SMB productivity uh, is 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 kind of a key benefit and then that second one uh is you know, better access to finance uh, and we can look beyond finance and you know, say financial products maybe it's not just it's not just lending it's things like insurance in there as well um so again compared to you know, the static information kept by credit bureaus or on public files or data entered manually uh the data that's comes from systems SMBs use to run their business anyway. It's much more comprehensive. It's up to date. It allows businesses to present that complete picture uh, and to do so so much more conveniently. And you know, we feel it's it's an inevitability um, that you know we're moving towards this world. And you know, be it commercially led or regulatory led, you know, we're going to get there. But uh, yeah, we've seen open banking kind of really accelerate the market, especially here in uh, in the UK, uh, and would love to see kind of open finance uh, as a as a term help to to take us towards this inevitably 
uh, inevitability sooner. Thanks for expanding on that. And uh, for anyone that's more interested in that second uh, category, would very much recommend uh, Kodat's SME Funding Gap white paper, which has some, some interesting thoughts and proposals. So anyone who's listening can tell by the accent that you know we both grew up in the UK. Um, would love to hear your thoughts on how the fintech industry has grown in the UK and probably more specifically in London since Kodat was founded. Yeah, so yeah, we were founded in London and you know, of Kodak's six years, I've spent four of them living here and two of them uh, living living in New York. And so I've kind of had a bit of a taste as to kind of what it's like um, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic. I think obviously it's a huge generalization, but as as Brits, um, we I've got an American son now, so I can I think I can kind of it's okay me saying this. Um, as Brits, we're I guess quite conservative, quite realistic. We're quite, quite humble. Um, and so in terms of building businesses, I think, and again, huge generalization, but, but I think we kind of lack some of the ambition that we see in the U S um, particularly, you know, in terms of like West coast U S um, and that's, you know, that's something that, uh, from, my time in the US and from our you know, US team now, kind of we you know we try to uh, to, to capture um, at Kodat. But you know, on the on the flip side, British businesses, I think you know, that gets reflected in a focus on kind of well, more of a focus on kind of unit economics, on um, kind of path to profitability. Uh, you know, being able to you know, um, I guess just just run a more uh, slightly more conservative uh, business, and, and and perhaps probably you know, more conservative ambition as part of that, um, and to kind of to, to sequence growth rather than to kind of go go all at once. And I think this this approach has probably been kind of against the grain of the last uh, few years, but is now uh, much more uh, in vogue as kind of. VC funding market has has, has changed somewhat, um, so that, that's kind of like the biggest the biggest difference that I've seen, um, kind of being from you know on both sides of the pond, so to speak. And I, I certainly recognise some of those differences, and and perhaps it's you know it's easier to be more aggressive and more ambitious when you're in the heart of Silicon Valley than maybe when you're in London, when funding historically at least has not been quite as plentiful. Yeah, and where you've you've uh, seen. Know, more companies go through that journey and achieve huge huge scale and it's really nice to see uh in the uk now um you know some some real success stories that i'm sure will uh help prompt the next generation and the next wave of of fintechs and uh and, and kind of tech startups more broadly and hopefully people uh you know will will have you know, uh higher ambitions uh you know uh, going going forward, having seen what's what's possible, I certainly hope so. Speaking to Miguel Almarza, so a Wharton FinTech podcast alum, you've said that expanding internationally has been one of the hardest challenges as far as connecting SMBs around the world. So I'd love to hear you just describe a little bit about how Kodak has managed scaling internationally in the past few years. Yeah, so I guess a couple of different elements to that. Uh, one is company building and the, the second is, is product building so in terms of company i mentioned you know our, our us team and uh you know that's that's been going very successfully we've also opened a, 
an office in uh, Sydney, in Australia as well. Yeah, the hardest part uh, of, of doing that is kind of some of the, the cultural differences, time zone challenges. It's the really practical uh, things from my experience. And having people on the ground uh, makes it has made that uh, much easier. So, uh, you know, talked about uh, my time in the US, which I really enjoyed. Um, but we've also sent, I think, from the UK, five other people. Uh, and then we sent uh, two people over to Sydney as well. And that that makes a real difference. So if you're if you're thinking of expanding internationally, that's something I, I definitely recommend. The, se- the second part of that, and I think this is kind of, you know, where your question was really aimed is kind of building the the product internationally. Um, so we connect to the systems used by small businesses. And so, you know, geography means that there are different language uh, challenges, but also um, you know, different things like uh, different accounting standards and, and tax regimes. Uh, and the software is uh, used differently. Um, so in fact, it's often used by different people in some markets is the small business owner who themselves is the main user and others, um, their, their accountant does most of the interaction with the products that we connect to. Um, so there's a lot of these kind of nuances uh, and edge cases that um, just make expanding internationally particularly uh, difficult for us. I'm sure it's, um, it's similar challenges uh, are true for, for, for other companies as well. It's, the, there's no there's no easy way uh, around these. It, it's purely uh, just kind of rolling up the sleeves and execution, you know, hard work uh, that kind of gets you through it. And thankfully, as you do the hard work, hopefully fewer and fewer SMBs have to along the way. Yeah, e- exactly. That's kind of the the, the whole idea uh, is, you know, as having been a developer uh, building these integrations, it, it it's really thankless work. Um, they're they're tough. You have to deal with poorly documented APIs. The more you do, actually, the harder it gets because building an integration to to something that's really well used and fairly well documented, like like QuickBooks as an example uh, that I've used uh, as we've been chatting because it's well un- it's well known, well understood. It, that's an order of magnitude easier than building kind of an integration to the to the fifth or certainly the the tenth most popular uh, software package like when you, it starts to get um really tricky to find specs for these systems um there are uh there are all these the far less standardized in terms of the connectivity that they offer it actually gets harder and harder and then fewer and fewer of your customers will be using them in the first place um so not only is it getting more difficult actually the the reward is decreasing too um yeah um, the, the fewer people uh, in the world who have to go through uh, some of those challenges who can instead spend their time building uh, new features uh, on their cool products, the better. That's, yeah, that's, that's what Kodak's all about, really. And that brings us perfectly to kind of our closing segment. Um, we like to love all, ask all our guests, um, if everything is going according to plan, where do you see Kodak in five years? Yeah, um, it, it's a great question. It's, to me, a matter of uh, you know, how many of the 200 million SMBs uh, around the world have we have we managed to to, to reach and to you know, make a positive con- contribution to kind of how they run their business. Um, it's our vision to build the internet for business data, um, and we use that metaphor 
because you know it, it is infrastructure um, that we're building at the end of the day, and it underpins every flow of data you know, for for SMBs around the world. Uh, it, it's quite hard to actually to to talk about and, and to kind of grasp as a metaphor. But the reason I, I, I like it is because um, it's it's the absence of friction and um, that we're looking to create. Uh, so it's like the difference in terms of five years between dial up and you know the 5g sort of connectivity uh that we have today it's, it's that's what we're trying to create for smbs in terms of the, the interoperability of their of their applications and connectivity of their systems and hopefully the only time people will notice kodas in the future is it's when we're not there um that's that's really the kind of the world in which we're, we're trying to build and we're all grateful not to have to hear the screech of dial-up anymore. <laughs> um, no, you talked a little bit about geographic expansion and some lessons you've learned. But another thing we love to ask founders and operators is, are there others hard-earned lessons that you've had in your founding journey that you'd like to share to, you know, potential founders or people who might be early along in their founding journey? Yeah, uh, great question. I could we we could talk probably for for an hour on 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 that alone. I think one of the ones that uh, kind of is is easy to say and and hard to do is is focus. And it's not really so much as to to you know what you choose to prioritize. It is what you choose to 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 explicitly not prioritize and and say no to. And I think having the the confidence uh, to say no to opportunities that perhaps come with with revenue, um, but they're they're not uh, kind of in line with kind of your 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 kind of vision of of the product in the future. Those are the those are the hard calls that you know, people have to make, and I think and that's what um, certainly if I reflect kind of where I am today versus uh, on, at the beginning of this journey, you know. That's one of the, you know, having the confidence to make those, make those calls to say no. That's not something we're going to to do. We've got we need to focus, and we're going to focus um, kind of on on these other priorities. And that's where I, I feel like uh, I've really grown, and Coda has grown as a result. Sure, many founders can take that to heart. One we've been asking more recently, and okay, there's nothing top of mind. But um, do you have any fintech hot takes you'd like to share? <laughs> um, the last time I got asked this uh, last year, I think I I said the crypto was overhyped. I think it um, <laughs> uh, it might be a freezing finish. cold take right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think from my perspective, looking at the the world of SMB fintech and being you know being close to to banks and fintechs alike, uh, I really see uh, banks as having a really uh, good year next year. Uh, it's uh, it's a hard time to be a fintech lender, relatively compared to the past few years we've uh, we've had in terms of um, investment, in terms of cost of capital. And I think banks are going to be using uh, the next twelve months to uh, to play catch up. And yeah, I think that will uh, you know ultimately be beneficial for all. Um, but I think they're going to have a strong you know, next next couple of years for the fintechs. I think uh, you know we're going to continue the theme of of convergence next year. 
it's going to kind of it always has been um and potentially might get more expensive to yeah to to attract new and find new customers and so i think we're going to see more fintech especially the larger fintechs um add additional revenue streams and additional product features um you know to serve the same client base so uh yeah i think banks are going to do well and continued convergence in in fintechs amazing and looking forward to seeing how those predictions hold finally we love to ask every guest just what they enjoy doing outside of work so how do you relax keep yourself sane out of all the amazing work you're doing at kodak yeah so your listeners who have children will probably relate and, and other people you know might find it harder um but i've got a a four-year-old a three-year-old and a one-year-old uh, we like to be quite hands-on uh, as parents my wife and i so yeah every waking minute uh not spent working is spent uh trying to keep those kids uh alive and uh, out of trouble completely reasonable and uh Impressive that you've been able to balance responsibilities as a parent of three, as well as founding Kodat along the way. Um, so it's been absolutely awesome to have you on, Pete. We'd love to have you again in the future and um, wishing you and Kodat the best of luck helping small businesses in the future. That's really kind of you. I'm, I'm very grateful for, for the time. Cheers, Andrew. Cheers. you for listening to today's episode of the what in fintech podcast if you like the show then please show us some love on social media or consider leaving a review it means a lot to us and helps spread the word to more listeners if you want more content from our fintech community please subscribe to our podcast and find us on linkedin instagram twitter and medium at what in fintech there you will find interviews articles videos and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry as always, special thanks to our editor, Rafael Osteria. Signing off until next time, I'm your host, Tarang Gupta.